Good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Chris. It's great to uh, see everybody this morning. I hope uh, you enjoyed the worship time. It looked like it looked like you really did. Uh, I want to say a big thank you for uh, last week. You guys did a terrific job of inv- inviting people. Uh, we had over 600 uh, between the two services, so that was pretty crazy. Uh, second service, we actually had to have people leave so other people could come in and sit down. It's uh, always been a dream of mine that that would happen, and it did. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and so it was just great to see that many people be able to hear uh, what Jesus has to say and uh, how he wants to be able to, be able to impact them. So we've, we've uh, begun this series called Breakout, the idea that uh, you're chained up and you need to be able to break out. And last week, we took, to, we took a look at, look, if you know the future, if you know what happens at the end, it makes a huge difference in terms of the freedom that you'll be able to get, be able to, be able to live your lives. And so uh, this week, we're going to jump in on uh, the next one, which is oftentimes in our lives, we, we see ourselves, well, we use the word complicated. Well, life is, is, is complicated. Or we see people in other areas of our life, or, or people that we know, or people we watch from a distance, like, wow, they're lucky. They're lucky that their life works that way. And so I have this question for you. Is there a difference between the way you want your life to be the way you want to live your life, and the way your life really is. Do you find yourself constantly going, yeah, I wish my life was like this. I wish I was like this. I wish I could live like this. But instead, you, you live a different life. It's almost like you're, you're chained to it. And like I said, we often go, yeah, well, it's, it's complicated. And, and well, these other people, and I didn't expect this to happen, and I, I didn't... I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen here, and, and, and yet you look at a distance and you see people, and you're like, wow, they're lucky. They're lucky their kids were turned out that way. They're lucky they're, they have that relationship with their spouse. They're lucky that they enjoy their job. They're lucky that they be able to really enjoy life. And Jesus has made us this promise that he came to give us an abundant life. An abundant life, a life overflowing do you find yourself going, that's great. And while we're doing worship songs, I kind of feel like that. But then when Pastor Chris comes up and talks, well, it just kind of all goes away. Or maybe I make it through the talk. And then it kind of just goes, goes away. There's this, this gap. Why do you think that gap's there? What do you attribute that gap to? You think Jesus kind of over-promised? Nah. He was honest about everything else. And he rose from the dead. So there's a really good chance he meant what he was saying. Do you think you're just kind of a, like a second-place person? Like other people get that, but you don't get that? I think there's something else. I think there's a major piece of our life that keeps us chained. And it's hidden sin. It's hidden sin. It's sin that we carry around with us. Oh, before I go any further, right? I know you're in church and I just said sin. And so you think I want to change your behavior. You think big God in heaven's going like, you shouldn't do that. <gasps> Shame on you. Don't do that. Please wipe that out of your heads. That's not what we're talking about. 
We're talking about your life, your real life, in which you have things that you know are wrong. You know are not good in your life. You know it. But you're chained to it. You can't stop it. I don't think it's too strong to say it rules your life. Now, there's hidden sin. That's sin nobody else knows about. That's things you do in the dark. Nobody else knows about it. And then there's hidden sin right in the open. Those are the things you call mistakes or weaknesses. Those are the things, those are ongoing sins in your life that you have made acceptable to your life. You accept that sin in your life. And maybe everybody else can see it, but you act like it's just a mistake. Like, and as we walk through this, I want to be crystal clear. Mistakes are not sins. Mistakes are things that you make because you're actually human and you're not perfect and you make a mistake. You trip on the steps. You, you have a car accident. You made a mistake. Sins are things that you know are not good. They're not what God wants. They don't fit what God has said. But you do them anyway. You know they hurt people. But you actually declare that you can't stop. That means you've been chained, right? It means it leads you. You don't lead it. So how does sin impact our lives? How does hidden sin impact our lives? Let's jump in. So uh, the Bible says this. This is in Romans. He says, for although they knew God, in other words, they had some kind of idea of who God was and what he thought was good and right. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. They didn't treat him like he was God. And they, they weren't thankful. They weren't thankful for what they had. This is what happens then. Three things. Their thinking became futile. In other words, their brain doesn't really work anymore. And their, their foolish hearts were darkened. They couldn't relate to God. They couldn't relate to other people well anymore. And, they're, uh, and they claimed to be wise, but they became fools. They didn't really understand how the world worked. Even though it was all around them, they couldn't figure it out. They became fools. They made lots of foolish decisions. So there's, there's, right off the bat, there's three things that happen when you hide sin. Number one, it makes you stupid. So uh, the kids just left. Like, oh, we don't use stupid in our house, which is great. Don't use stupid in your house. It actually applies here. It actually applies. Stupid is when your brain doesn't work. You're slow of thought or you have no common sense. That's what sin does to us. When we practice sin, especially when we hide it, we don't think right. It also makes you hard-hearted or blind. In other words, you will, in that sin, excuse all kind of pain that you cause to other people, that you cause to your children, and that you cause to yourself. It's just the way I am. It's just, uh, it's, it's nothing like, I, I can't overcome it. What do, you, what do you want me to do? Or you hide it. You hide it. You hang on to it. It makes you act foolish while you think you're the smartest person in the room. Now listen. You do think you're the smartest person in the room. The rest of us are going, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then if we were to ever broach the subject, you have a really long 
explanation as to why you do it the way you do it. And then you get mad. You get mad at people who go, hey, you know, that hasn't worked the last 13 times. Why do you want to keep doing that? Because you think this, you're the smartest person in the room. You figured this all out in your head. That's what sin does to us. There's a few other things it does to us. Number one, or, or, or number four, it enslaves you. It literally grabs a hold of you and enslaves you. It just pulls you wherever it wants to take you. It enslaves you. It's amazing how it does it because at the same time that it enslaves you, it fools you into thinking you have a choice. Like you're making the choice. You know when you sneak off and sin? A little freedom here. Right? It actually feels like freedom. I'm getting away with it. When in fact, it's enslaved you. It rules your life. You don't rule its life. The Bible says this, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death. Sin leads to more sin. Hidden sin leads to more sin. You never, ever hide sin and go, yeah, doing a lot better. No. It always leads to a more perverted sin. You got a wicked tongue? You got a mean tongue? It leads to a meaner tongue. You have a problem with gossip? What does gossip lead to? More gossip. Meaner gossip. Darker gossip. It never satisfies. It's the most amazing thing about sin. When you're about to do it, and when you first do it, you're like, this is going to be so satisfying. This is it. I'm just going to do this one more time. I'm going to do this one more time. It's all I need. One more time. And I'll be, I'll be done with it. This will finish it. This is the last time. And for some reason, somehow, a couple hours later, or a couple days later, you're hungrier and emptier than you've ever been. It never satisfies. It degrades and humiliates. It does something to your soul. It grabs a hold of you and does something to your soul. It degrades you. It humiliates you. And eventually it will humiliate you before others. But right now it just humiliates you even among yourself. Because it has so much control over your life. It hurts the ones you love the most. Whoever you love, your sin will hurt them the most. Whether it's your spouse or your children. It's amazing, parents. It's amazing. But you spend your day getting after your kids because you want to protect them from their sin. The whole time you're hiding a sin that if you don't deal with it, there's a really good chance one day it's going to destroy your children's life because they're the ones who get hurt. Your parents or your church family. It really hurts. Hidden sin really hurts the church family. It impacts others for generations. 
It's amazing how that works. It's amazing how it works with that when a young man says no to sin and yes to goodness. And he, he loves his wife that way, and then he raises his children that way, how that sets those children up to see, succeed for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. It's also just as amazing that when you do the opposite, it creates a guy who's going to create children but never father them. Create children that never father them. Create children but never father them. You've, you, you're watching it every day, right in front of you. And here's the last one, maybe the most important one. Sin will always be found out. Always. This sin that you're hiding, this sin that you're hanging on to, that you, you actually think you're going to get away with it. You really do. I know you do. Because when I hide sin, I think I'm going to get away with it. You really think it's not going to matter. It's frozen in time. And it's in the past. This is what the Bible says. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the, in the ear, in the inner rooms, will be reclaimed from the roofs. Let that sink in. That's a little scary. What you've said... Even to yourself. That's going to be made. No. There is no such thing as, yeah, no one's ever going to know. It will be found out. You've already discovered that a ton of stuff you thought would never come out has already come out. It's already been disclosed. So, that's depressing. It's depressing. Now here's, here's the, the really cool and amazing truth. You have a choice. Because Jesus did come and say, I came to give you abundant life. You have a choice. You have a choice whether or not you want to build your life on grace, whether or not you want to build your life on something other than sin or hiding the sin, or you get a chance to hide it. The way that I like to say it is this, you have a choice. You can choose to build a life worth living. You can do it. Or you can choose to build a life that's meaningful and empty. It has to do with two types of sorrow. In, in Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians, it says uh, Paul is writing a letter, and in, in the first letter he wrote to the Corinthians was they were in heavy-duty sin. They were also, there was a lot of sin. They were both hiding public with it, but it was, it was a hidden sin in the sense that they, they were doing it thinking, yeah, th this is great. We're not going to, there's no problem here. We're, we're good. We're going to get away with this. It's going to be all right. And he wrote to them and said, no, it's not all right. And it caused them to be convicted about what they were doing. They had what's called godly sorrow. He talks about this a little bit. He says, even if I cause you sorrow for, by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, their feelings, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Here it is. Godly sorrow brings repentance. 
that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. In other words, you're super happy. You are excited. This is great. You look back at what you did that you revealed this, you don't regret it one bit. You are like, I am glad this came to light. I'm glad this came out. He says, um, see that this godly sorrow, see what this, I'm sorry, salvation leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See, there's two kinds of sorrows. You're like, well, I, I was sorry. I said I was sorry. It's possible to be sorry. It's possible to cry your eyes out and say how sorry you are for the sin you've done, but it's a worldly sorrow. That sorrow brings death. You see, that might be why there's a huge gap between the way your life is and the way you'd love your life to be. That might be because why there's this huge gap between who you are and who you really want to be and who Jesus died to make you to be. There's a possibility that you practice worldly sorrow, not godly sorrow. It says worldly sorrow produces death. Back up a second. That worldly sorrow produces death. That's what comes out of it. Godly sorrow, what death? That's the list of things we just already walked our way through. Look what godly sorrow produces. See what godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness. Earnestness is um, diligence, attention to detail. It's like, I want to make sure I cover every bit of this. I'm honest about all of it. What eagerness to clear yourselves. That literally comes from the word apologia. Apologize but not the way we use apologize. We often use apologize for worldly sorrow. Not clear, this means to clear my name. Not clear my name the way they do on the news where they're like, they lie like crazy until you no longer believe they did what they've been accused of doing. That's, that's not it. Not that you get a lawyer to clear your name. It's that I know I've done this wrong. I'm gonna do everything I can to reverse what I've done. I understand what I've done wrong. I'm going to do everything I can to no longer be that person and reverse what I've done. What indignation? Indignation is you're on fire with feeling. You're like, ah, something has to be done about this. It's what you experience when somebody does, some, does you wrong. When somebody does you wrong or you see something news story and it's, it's not fair, it's not right, there's an injustice done. And so you're like, we've got to do something about this. So you, you maybe you do something you've never done before. Maybe you, you, you go to a rally or you go to a courthouse or you do something you've never done before. Why? You're full of indignation. Something's got to be done. What alarm. I love that. Alarm. When you're alarmed, you never sit still. When you're alarmed, you never go, yeah, it's all right, man. Stuff happens all the time. No. When you're alarmed, the fire, the building's burning. We got to do something about this. What longing? That's zeal. What concern? It's like this drive. And I love this last line. What readiness to see justice done. 
This has got to be made right. Revenge has got to be taken. But it's not against the other person. It's against me. Wow. What a picture. You've, in your life, you've sought vengeance on lots of other people. When I was, when I was growing up in fourth grade, Tim Perry and I, on the playground, would roam the playground. And if anybody cursed, we'd beat them up. If you cursed on our playground, we beat you up. We, were the, we called ourselves the Righteous Brothers. <laughs> and we're like, we're going we're gonna to enforce. This is going to be a safe playground. It's going to be like this. We, would, we literally went around beating kids up if they cursed. What is that? Justice will be done. You've practiced this on lots of other people. Godly sorrow is you are going to practice that on yourself. Justice must be done for what I have done. What a picture. That's godly sorrow. There's two people in the Bible. One uh, had worldly sorrow. The other one had godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is focused on me, and that's Saul. Saul had been told, okay, I want you, he's the king of Israel, and and God sent through uh, the prophet. He said, look, I want you to go to the Amalekites, completely wipe them out. They've been really evil people. They've done a lot of damage to a lot of people. I want them wiped out, all the people wiped out, all the animals wiped out. I don't want any trace of them left. None of that sin is going to keep going on generation to generation. I want them wiped out. Saul went there, but he didn't wipe them out. He kept the best animals. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous to just kill these very valuable animals. And he kept the king alive because what you do is you keep the king alive and then you make this big procession which shows how great you are because you defeated the king. And that's what he did. So Samuel, Samuel comes to him and says, look, you didn't obey. You, you disobeyed. He said, I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag and their king. You know what that's called? That's called foolish thinking. That's called a, heart, a darkened heart. That's where you don't make sense. And guess what? In your hidden sin, same thing. You make statements that everybody else goes, what? They're like two opposite things at the same time. And that's what he does. I did everything you told me to do, but this. Their soldiers took, uh, and then he talks about the, the next thing. He says, their shoulder, the, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. The best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. His brain works so poorly, his heart is so darkened that he can de- he de- declare, I disobeyed God for God. Don't tell me you've never done that. I'm sinning like this for God. Somehow this is going to work out. This is for my family. This is for my... That's what happens to us when we sin. That's what happens to us when we have godly sorrow. He says, uh, then Saul said to Samuel, I, so now he's going to admit it. I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command, your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. 
I have sinned, but let's manage my reputation. Why? Because the entire time he's focused on me. This is what worldly sorrow's like. This is what he did. Number one, insists on partial obedience. I want it to count. I know I did this wrong, but I want it to count. Let's focus on what I did right. Number two, I had good reasons or right motives. Worldly sorrow. You're focused on, yeah, I know I did that wrong, but I did it for the right reason. I mean, I had, I was trying to do good. You blame others. I did this sin because, and in your explanation, it's literally somebody else's fault. I have sinned, but please, let's avoid public reproach. Yes, I sinned, but I still want to manage what's going to happen to what people think of me. I want to manage the information. I have sinned, but I will not give up control to someone else. I'm still the king. I'm still the king. I still rule my life. It's still my life. The result is self-pity and moody. Saul spent the rest of his life, he was, a, he was in self-pity, he was constantly moody, he was paranoid, he was afraid. There was this huge gap between what God had wanted for him and what God had given him and the life he actually lived. David, on the other hand, uh, did a sin which was worse than Saul's. David uh, seduced a young gal and uh, got her pregnant. And then once he found out he was pregnant, she was married, he sent uh, his, her husband to the front lines to make sure he got murdered in battle. He literally killed him. And he went a year hiding this sin. And he writes psalms about what it was like and how it, 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 it cost him his soul, how he was, he, was, uh, it, it, he was both physically, spiritually, emotionally empty. He was living an empty life. Huge gap between what God had for him and the life he was really living. And then he repented. And this is what it looked like. So godly sorrow is focused on God. It's so, it's so simple. Worldly sorrow is focused on you. Godly sorrow is focused on God. Not the other person. Not first. It's focused on God. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. In other words, I, I'm going to be honest about what I did. The whole thing. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. First and foremost, God, I've sinned against you. Godly sorrow, powerful sorrow that changes your life, you need to understand first and foremost, you did not make a mistake. You did not respond to somebody else. You sinned against God, your God. And then he says this, and so you are right in your verdict and justice when you judge. Therefore, God, I look at this the exact same way you do. God, what you call this is what it is. Not what I call it. It's not me talking to myself. God, what you call it is what it is. The vile, ugly, horrible stuff you call it, that's what it is. That's what I've done. He goes, Create in me a pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Yes, God, this is what I've done, but I know you can change me. Worldly sorrow never leads to change. 
because it's focused on you and you can't change yourself. Godly sorrow is focused on God. And so when I'm honest about what I've done, then I have incredible hope. Why? Because he has the power to change you, to create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. All I had to give you, God, is my sin, and I understand this is no longer my life. I've screwed up my life. I give up control. This is no longer my life. Here's the pieces to it. One, I'm brokenhearted. I'm not brokenhearted for me. I'm brokenhearted for what I've done against my God. My sin is against God first. I'm not concerned about myself, but the impact of my sin on others. You want to know if you're practicing worldly sorrow or godly sorrow? This is a first great test. Who are you worried about? If you're worried about yourself, if you're a part of the equation, you're worried about what's going to happen to you and you can't believe you've done this and I'm so stupid and I've ruined my life, that's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, look what I have done to others. Look what I've done toward God. Cared nothing of what others thought or your reputation. It's huge. This is just, this is so clear. You can, you'll be able to experience this. You'll know it. If you're worried about who's going to find out and what's going to happen to me, and you're worried about what people are going to think of you, that's worldly sorrow. It leads and produces death. You're going to stay in that miserable life you're in. You're going to stay in that mediocre life that you're in. Godly sorrow. I did it. I don't care who knows. I did it. People should know. I did it. Grieved over the impact his sin had on God and others. The emotional part of it, the hurt part of it, is not what it's done to you, it's what you've done to others. Turns his will over to God. This is another huge key. If you're like, God, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I'm so sorry for what I did, I want to confess what I did, and da 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 and God go, okay, this is what we're going to do next. And you're like, no, 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 wait, 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 no. I still choose how I'm going to live my life. It's still my life. I choose. Not you, God. No, no, we don't need to tell other people. No, no, we don't need to, no, no, I'm not going to listen to my life group. No. I mean, I'll listen to them, but I'm the one who decides. Worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow? God, it's not my life anymore. I don't trust me anymore. I'm the one who screwed it up. What's the result? Joy and peace. Incredible joy and amazing peace. If you've ever experienced godly sorrow, you know, for me personally, the greatest moments of my life are godly sorrow. The greatest moments of my life is when I've come clean with God and I've said, God's not my life anymore. It's your life. I don't care who knows. I don't care what. This, I did it. I don't want my life. I want your life. The peace and the joy is, it's overwhelming. It's incredible. So 
you have a choice. How do you do this? How do you practice this? Well, first of all, you pray this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. First and foremost, you ask God about the sin in your heart. You ask God if it's a sin. Not yourself. God, show me where I'm hanging on to sin. Show me what I'm hiding. Show me what I'm not willing to give up. See if there's any offensive way in me. God, is there any place I'm headed in the wrong path? Is there any place that I'm taking the wrong path? And lead me in the way everlasting. Confession, repentance, and asking for forgiveness. I'm going to walk you through these five steps. Number one, you say to the person or to God, I have sinned against you by, and you name the sin. If you can find the sin in the Bible, even better. But if you can't, you name the sin. This is, I lied. I was full of pride. I said these words. I took control. I did something I knew you didn't want me to do. This is what I did. You name the sin. Now, this is super important, guys. Super important. Learn this in uh, re-engage because people didn't know this. Never, ever, ever explain why you did it. I want that to settle. Never, ever explain why you did it. Mom, I'm sorry I took the cookie. I was hungry. Uh-uh. Do you know what the explanation is? The explanation is worldly sorrow. Whatever the explanation is going to be, is going to be, let me excuse why I did what I did. No, I'm just trying to explain. I just think they need to know. They don't need to know. You know the other thing it's doing? For the person that you're asking forgiveness of, whatever the explanation is, is the reason why you're going to do it again. You can't be trusted. Because you think that when you're put in that situation and those circumstances, this particular sin is actually explainable. That's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow goes, that is evil and wrong. And I did it. Never explain why. You're like, it's not an excuse. Actually, it is. So, I have sinned against you by. Number two, this is the pain and brokenness I know I have caused. Sometimes it is, I don't know the pain and brokenness that I've caused. But I want to hear it. I don't know the pain and brokenness I've caused, but I want to hear it. See, you need to understand this. Sin hurts people. Sin causes death. Sin breaks lives. And when you come and you have godly sorrow, you see it and you're like, I want to make this right. Show me all the impact of my sin because I am driven for justice in my own life. I want justice against me. So I want to see it for what it is. Number three, 
This is what I owe you. You may have never thought about this before, but when you sin against someone, you owe them something. Why? Because you either stole something, you broke something, you broke trust, you broke, you've hurt them, you owe them. Forgiveness is when someone says, you owe this to me, but I'm going to pay for it instead of you. You need to identify what you owe to the other person. That's why this thing where you're in a relationship with somebody, you go, hey, I I was really wrong about that. They go, yeah, no big deal. Death. That's why three years later, you can't trust each other and you're just full of hurt and bitterness because you never really confessed and you never really forgave. To confess, you have to identify what you owe so that the person can identify what they are going to pay for instead of you. This is what I owe. This is an attitude of willingness to do whatever it takes to make it right. Guys, I, 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 I've run out of time, but I think this is the number one thing that keeps you chained to your sin. We want to ask forgiveness and never, ever have to pay the consequences or actually pay for the sin. I have sinned against my wife in ways that I owe her my life. Like for the rest of my life. I owe her my life. I've sinned against God in ways that for the rest of my life, I owe her my life. The attitude of repentance is, godly sorrow is, yeah, it's not my life anymore. I owe it to you. I spent it in that hidden sin. My notes disappeared. Can you get me back to three or four? Number four, will you forgive me? Do not ask, do not say I'm sorry. That doesn't mean anything. Will you forgive me? That gives the, that gives the person the right to go, no. Like, no. Did you know that someone cannot forgive you and you still be released from the sin? Now, it may have consequences for your relationship, but someone cannot forgive you and you be released from the sin. You don't need them to forgive you. You need to repent. You need to let go of it and put it there and go, okay, I understand you won't forgive me. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to pay this back because I owe it. Now, Jesus came along and said, yes, I'll forgive you. So we don't spend the rest of our lives trying to pay him back. We spend the rest of our lives him pouring his life into us. He changes us. Now, you're like, that's a lot of steps. That's, 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 there's a fifth one. Jesus, I'll trust you and follow you. 
Repentance ends with, I'm, this is what I've done wrong, but God, you, you can make me right. You can clean my heart. You can change me. You can make me different. So from here on out, I'm following you. What's that mean? That means when I blow it over here, I don't just go, okay, I want to repent of this and let's just keep this here. But the rest of my life, I think I'm doing okay. No. No. I blew it. You can have my whole life. And when that happens, the chains fall off. And you're set free. You change on the inside. And instead of being stupid, you actually become smart. Instead of having a darkened heart, the light comes on and your ability to relate to other people and relate to God explodes. And instead of becoming foolish, you become wise and you start to make decisions not based on your own hurt and whatever's going on. You're able to go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I belong to Jesus. I'm going to do what Jesus calls me to do in this situation. And you become really wise. So what is it that you need to confess today? What is it that you... You've been carrying around and you've been hiding. God talks to you about it quite often. And you say, I'm sorry, but you don't repent that today, you need to repent. Today's the day. Why would you live like this any longer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful. But Lord, there are a few people here this morning, maybe more than a few people, that have been practicing worldly sorrow and today they need to practice godly sorrow. God, would you search their hearts and show if there's any wicked way in them. pray this prayer. Just you and Jesus. Lord Jesus, this is the sin I've committed against you. I don't know all the pain that I've caused, but I want to know it. Please show it to me. Lord, this is what I owe you. Jesus, will you forgive me? I can't believe the answer is always yes. Lord, I don't want my life. I don't want to be the boss of my life. I don't want to hide this sin anymore. Wherever you go, I will follow. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.